okay, so you guys ever heard the phrase, uh, like, news travels fast, but bad news travels faster? Yes. Yeah, we I've all heard. know that? Yeah, okay. Um, oh, yeah. You know, if you think about it, I mean, we live in a world today that actually refuses to promote healthy values, righteous values. It idolizes people often who represent immoral lifestyles. And, and then, because we do all that, and then we act shocked at their behavior, right? When, they, when these people ruin their lives, you know, whether it's with addictions or they destroy their relationships or their ministries with infidelity, or, you know, or they take advantage of someone's trust for personal gain. Everybody's shocked. But, but yet that's what the world has been promoting. And man, when that happens, you know, you want to talk about bad news traveling faster. That gets posted, reposted, tweeted, retweeted, or whatever they call it now, X'd, or, you know, whatever. You know, so fast that, I mean, it, like, makes your head spin. It, it's, it's around the world, you know, 20 times in two seconds. Okay, so what, but yet in, in our lives, in all of our hearts and our lives, we really have kind of this, this nature in us that we want to look for heroes, right? We want to look for people um, that set an example that we can confidently follow. But it's increasingly difficult to find those kind of people that are living a life uh, worthy of following, right? Uh, because what we're looking for is people actually who are like living a life of integrity, living a life that, that, that's worthy of, of following. So we're going to talk about that today, living a life of integrity. And I've got a question for you. You guys know we always have questions, okay? So what does that mean? When I say living a life of integrity, what do, you, what do, you, what do we mean by that? What, what does that look like? Practice what you preach. What else do you think? Anybody? Living a good life? Do, doing the right thing even when no one's watching. Yeah, that's a good that's a good line. Well, you know, over the last several weeks, right, we've we've learned, remember, like Israel has cried out to God to give them a king. Right? And they wanted a leader they could see and, and a leader who could be seen by all the other nations around them because they thought a king would be the best thing for them to lead them into battle and to deal with all their enemies. They thought that a king would be what they needed to solve all their problems and make their lives better. I mean, everyone else had a king. So, like, why shouldn't they have one too? Although a king was never God's plan for Israel, and, and Samuel resisted the idea, ultimately God directed Samuel to give the people what they wanted. So Samuel, led by God, anointed Saul as their king. So today, as we read our scripture passage, we're going to find out what happened with the Israelites, and we're going to see what we can learn from this chapter about living a life of integrity. So we're going to turn, uh, in your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 12. We're going to read um, verses 1 to 25, okay? So 1 Samuel 12, 1 through 25, it's in the Bibles in your rows, and it will be on the, the screen. So 
Samuel said to all of Israel, I have listened to everything you have said to me, and I have set a king over you. Now, you have a king as your leader. As for me, I'm old and gray. And my sons are here with you. I've been your leader since my youth until this day. Here I stand. Testify against me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Testify against me. Uh, whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hand have I accepted a bribe to sh make me shut my eyes? If I have done any of these things, I will make it right. You have not cheated us or oppressed us, they replied. You have not taken anything from anyone's hand. You remember the problems that we read had several weeks ago with his sons, Hophni and Phineas, taking the offerings and taking money, okay? Okay, but not from Samuel, right? So then Samuel said to them, the Lord is witnessed against you and also his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. He is witness, they said. Then Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your ancestors up out of Egypt. Now then, stand here, because I'm going to confront you with the evidence before the Lord as to all the righteous acts performed by the Lord for you and your ancestors. After Jacob entered Egypt, they cried out to the Lord for help. The Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your ancestors out of Egypt and settled them in this place. But... They forgot the Lord their God. So he sold them into the hand of Sisera, the commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hands of the Philistines, the king of Moab, who fought against them. But they cried out to the Lord. And they said, We have sinned. We have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroths. But deliver us from the hands of our enemies, and we will serve you. Then the Lord sent Jeroboam, Barak, Jephthah, and Samuel and he delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around you so that you lived in safety. But when you saw Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was moving against you, you said to me, No, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was your king. Now, here is the king you have chosen. The one you asked for. See, the Lord has set a king over you, and if you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. But if you do not obey the Lord and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. Now then, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord is about to do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest now? I will call on the Lord to send thunder and rain. And you will realize what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked for a king. Then Samuel called on the Lord, and that same day the Lord sent thunder and rain. So all the people stood in awe of the Lord and of Samuel. The people all said to Samuel, Pray to the Lord your God for your servants so that we will not die. For we have added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king. Do not be afraid, Samuel replied. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good. 
nor can they rescue you because they are useless. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet, if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. Okay, so those first couple of verses that we read kind of started out sounding like Samuel was giving his retirement speech, right? You know, he's saying, I'm old, and, you know, and my sons are here with you, and I've served you, okay? But, but boy, it really quickly transitioned into Samuel's claims, first of all, that he had been living among the Israelites above reproach. What have I taken? Who have I? He, he, he laid out all these examples and said, name one. What does that mean when we say live above reproach? What does that mean? Well, living for the Lord. Living, not being sinful. Any other thoughts? Obeying, okay, being obedient. Yeah, you know, Samuel, look, like when we saw the examples, right? Samuel reminded these people that he hadn't stolen from them. He hadn't cheated or oppressed them in any way. He had not taken bribes to, to like, give a favorable ruling in a, you know, over one person, okay? And, and so he declares that he has been living above reproach and challenges anyone to bring proof to the contrary. Look, you know, you, we've all experienced this in life, okay? There are always people... Who, who like to, you know, like lob accusations at other people, right? Like to, you know, use them, you know, with the goal of demoralizing them in their work, their life, heck, even their ministry, okay? And all without proof, all without proof, okay? Living above reproach means that no proof can be found, that no proof can be found. No one... No one could find proof against Samuel because he had been living that way all those years. And here's the truth. None should be able to be found against any of us if we claim to be followers of Jesus. We're called to live above reproach. The passage then quickly transitions into this declaration uh, reminding the Israelites of God's faithfulness throughout their history because he had been. You know, throughout their history from time to time, the Israelites, from the time they left Egypt, they would stray away from God. They would call out to God after a period of persecution, and God would, would send someone to deliver them from their oppressors. Okay? So, because eventually what would happen is they would get so oppressed that they would repent of their sins, they would repent of turning away from God, and cry out, God would hear them, and then deliver them. Does that cycle sound familiar to you in your life? I mean, if we're honest, haven't, hadn't everybody here, I mean, if we're just real honest, hadn't everybody here at some point or another in your life strayed from God? Either intentionally or unintentionally, but we've strayed from God at one point or another along the way. And aren't you thankful, though, 
that when you call out to God for help and for and in repentance, that he listens and he intervenes on your behalf. He never says, that was one time too many. Aren't you thankful that that's the God we serve? Verse 12 kind of represented this moment of significant change uh, in the Israelites because in verse 12, it was where it told us that when they were confronted by Nahash and the Amorites, for the first time in their history, when they saw an oppressor coming, they didn't cry out to God. They didn't repent and cry out to God. They just turned to Samuel and said, get us a king. It's, It's a completely different response For the first time, they said, we want a king. Verse 12, you know, it said, But when you saw Nahash, king of the Amorites, was moving out against you, you said to me, No, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was your king. So as a result, God had Samuel appoint Saul as their king. God gave the people what they wanted, even if it wasn't his plan for them. But then Samuel went on in the verses, to, he went on to explain the duties and obligations of the king as well as the king's obligations toward God. So Samuel made it clear that if both the king and the people were obedient to God, things would go okay. But if either they or the king were disobedient to God, things were not going to go well. However, God wanted his people to understand that they had done an evil thing by rejecting God as their leader and demanding a king. Verses 16 and 17 said, Now then, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord is about to do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest now? I'm going to call on the Lord to send thunder and rain, and you will realize this evil thing you did when you ask God uh, for a king. So Samuel calls on the Lord for thunder and rain. The people realized this was no coincidence when it started raining, but the hand of God, because it was, as you said, it's harvest time. Harvest time is a dry time of the year. Harvest time, it doesn't rain in harvest time. So for it to rain in harvest time, very unusual. Okay? So here it is. You know, it's this dry time of year. It's harvest time. There's not a cloud in the sky, and Samuel calls for rain, and all of a sudden it starts raining. There is no doubt in people's minds that this is the hand of God. They realize the evil they've done by asking for a king, and now they're asking Samuel to intervene for them before the Lord. Samuel's response to them when they asked for that really ought to serve as a source of great hope for everybody here, all of us here. Okay? Because Anybody here perfect? I'm not. Can we all agree none of us are perfect? We've all we've all made mistakes. We've all messed up. There are times when we have been disobedient to God intentionally. There's other times we've we've drifted away. Okay? So we've all been in that situ- we've all been in the situation where the Israelites were. Okay? Here's what I think is awesome in verse 20 so this is samuel's response when israel israel now says oh man we've messed up he says look don't be afraid you have done all this evil yet do not turn away from the lord but serve him with all your heart basically samuel's saying although you sin by asking for a king god still loves you 
God still loves you, so repent and determine to live daily for God, even as you serve Saul. Kind of say it a little differently. You might say, if you and the king follow God, things will go well. If you turn from God, then, like we said, you and the king are going to perish. You know, God has given all of us free will. We have the right to choose. We get to decide our path in life. We get to decide which path we want to take. We can choose the path the world offers, the one that kind of says, you know, do what's best for you regardless of how it affects anyone else, or go ahead if you think it's okay right now, or we can choose to serve God and choose to follow his commands and ask him to lead us in the ways that we should go. We can ask God to help us each day to be more and more like Jesus. So, as, and I would, I would think we would all want to be that way, to be more and more like Jesus each day. And so, you know, as we confirm that decision that we want to live in ways that are pleasing to God, as we go through our day, uh, what we want to do then is kind of ask ourselves the question, if I want to be more and more like Jesus, if I want to live my life in ways that bring honor and glory to him, then I want to live my life in alignment with God's word, the Bible. So I think the question then for us to ask is the same one that like, kind of Samuel answered for the Israelites is, how can we live a life of integrity? What are the things that would help us live that way? Well, the first thing we need to do, if we want to be people who live a life of integrity, like Samuel, we need to live above reproach. We need to live lives above reproach. Samuel, remember, challenged him. Said, Name anything I've done. Who's stolen? Who have I cheated from? The people confirmed that Samuel had not stolen from them. There was no hint of sexual immorality in his ministry. He is not taken from them. They confirmed that he had lived his life in accordance with to the word of God. I want to tell you, living, choosing to live a life above reproach is not easy. That is not easy. Satan will do everything he can to get you to veer off course. Little by little, day by day, he'll, he'll nip at you. He'll nudge on you. One step at a time. If we're not careful and we don't resist that and we don't turn to God... What happens is we start veering a little off course, you know, one degree at a time, one degree per day, and all of a sudden you wake up one morning and you think, how did I get from where I was to where I am now? Because Satan is good at his job. So we need to trust God and keep turning back to him. You know, I don't know for sure, but that may be what happened to Hophni and Phinehas. I mean, I don't know that they woke up one morning and decided to be evil sons of Samuel and steal from the people. I don't really think most people wake up one morning from living a good life and go, you know, I think today I'm going to mess up my life. Today I'm going to just really drive off, you know, and make crazy decisions. I just don't think most people decide to do that one day. I think what happens is they make a series of little decisions, take little steps, and one day realize I'm way over here. I'm so far away from God that I don't, I don't even know how I got here. So living a life above reproach, uh, you know, it may not make us popular with people around us, but it will bring honor and glory to God. And it will keep us on the path where we can live faithfully for him. 
Because God calls us to a life of faith and service. So to live a life, we should be a life that other people can watch and follow. So the first thing is we need to live above reproach. The second thing is to repent of sin. You know, there's no doubt we all fail. And at various times in our lives, every one of us have done it. The key when we fail and when we make sinful decisions or take sinful steps in our life, here's the key. Don't stay there. Don't stay there. Once you realize what's happened, repent. When you realize you've fallen short of God's plan for you and you haven't kept his commands, you know, you've deviated from his teaching and the guidance that is available 24-7 in the Bible, right? Don't waste time making excuses. That's what the enemy will try to get you to do. Satan will try to get you to make excuses, to rationalize why actually in this case, this was okay. No, God's word doesn't change. If it was wrong yesterday, it's wrong today. It'll be wrong tomorrow. So don't rationalize, don't make excuses, and don't rationalize your behavior. Like, like you know, all my friends said it was okay. Everybody else is doing it. Or, or we try to rationalize it by saying, well, what I did, that's because those people weren't treating me right. You know, they weren't treating me right. So, so like, they deserved it. We, we need to repent of the sins we commit quickly, and we need to do it without excuses or without rationalizing why it wasn't as bad as it seems. We just need to tell God what we've done. We need to tell him we're sorry. We need to commit to not doing it in the future, and we need to just ask him to forgive us. And you know what the really good news on that is? He will. He will. Isn't that good news, really? I am so thankful. I serve a God that when I've made some of the dumbest choices in my life, but I've turned back to him and I've repented, he, I can say, God, I, I just all I know right now is I need to get back right with you. Please forgive me. I'm not, I don't want to do that anymore, but I'm going to need help. And God doesn't say, you've asked one too many times. He says, yes. He says, yes. And he says that because he loves you. And he loves me. And, and God's word even promises all this. In 1 John 1, 9, it promises us. It says, if we will confess our sins. And confession just means tell God what you did. Okay? We'll confess our sins. He is grateful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Finally, we're going to live a life of integrity. We need to accept God's discipline. Now look, I don't know about you. When I was a kid, I didn't like to get disciplined. Did anybody, anybody want to say, oh, no, I loved discipline. Oh, yeah, I loved getting disciplined. No, I mean, I, I, whatever discipline looked like in your house, you know, it, I didn't like it in my house. Okay. But you know what? I knew when I got disciplined, I was being disciplined by someone who loved me. I was disciplined, being disciplined by somebody who cared about me. And who wanted the best for me. Okay? I still didn't like it. 
But I'm sure glad I got it because it kept me from going totally off the rails. Discipline is actually proof that God loves you. You know that? Discipline is actually proof that God loves you. Think about it. If God didn't love you and you started living in a bad way, wouldn't he just go, too bad for you? Too bad for you. Good luck on your own. Right? He wouldn't care if he didn't love you. He'd just leave you to your own best efforts. And those best efforts would never be enough. Because there's difficult things out there that we can get ourselves into, but we cannot get ourselves out of them by ourselves. That's one of the reasons we need each other. That's one of the reasons a church body is important, is because sometimes... You know what? Nobody likes discipline and nobody likes getting called out. But I, sometimes we need somebody just to speak a little loving truth into our lives and just say, you may want to pay attention to this. This may need some attention because sometimes we've gotten there little by little, step by step, and we don't, and we don't really know the path that even got us there. We just realize now we're in a mess. And so what we need to understand is sometimes God works through each, through each other. God, who people around us who know us who can point out and say, you know what, this, this is something you may want to take up before God. But at some point when God does bring discipline in our lives, we need to understand that he's doing it because he loves us. God's word tell us, tell us, uh, tells us that. Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 9 says, Have you completely forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? Because it says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the, Lord's discipl the Lord disciplines the one he loves. As he chastens everyone, he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? Look, two ways here. When God disciplines you, don't downplay it. Don't downplay it and think that God's word only applies to other people. You know, the really bad ones. Right? Don't downplay it. Accept it. Because he loves you. But at the same time, don't overreact to it either. Okay? You know, don't go, oh, it's too late. I've gone too far. Oh, God doesn't love me anymore. You know, he just, hey, oh, I'm no good. No, that's not true either. God loves, God disciplines those he loves. So you are loved by God. It's just not true that God doesn't love you. He always loves you even when you run away from him. So we need to accept God's discipline. We need to learn from it. And going forward, we don't want to repeat it, right? Because remember, God's goal in discipline is not because he has fun punishing you. Okay? God loves you. His discipline is intended to turn you back to him. To turn you back to him. He wants you to come back to himself. 
All right? So let's remember that if we're going to live a life of integrity, we need, we need to first live above reproach. We need to quickly repent of sin. And then we need to willingly accept God's discipline and learn from it. Will you guys stand with me as we get ready to close? You and I, all, all of us, we have a calling on our lives. There's things that God created you to do. Okay? And Ephesians 4.1, Paul wrote, he said, As a prisoner of the Lord then, and here's the part I want you to hear, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. You and I are urged to live our lives worthy of the calling of God's call on our lives so, with all, everybody's heads bowed, heads bowed, eyes closed, today, if you're ready to commit to living a life of integrity, living above reproach, worthy of the calling you've received, if that's your desire and your commitment, raise your hand. Amen. Amen. Because that's one of those, really, where every hand should go up. Okay. So, Lord, today... You've seen our hands, Lord, you know our hearts. Our desire, Lord, we want to be people, Lord, people of integrity, people, Lord, who live above reproach, people, Lord, that when the world tries to slander us, tries to harm us, tries to say things about us, Lord, no proof can be found. No proof can be found because, Lord, we're living our lives in ways that bring honor and glory to you. God, we know that living above reproach is not easy. So, God, today, I ask you to strengthen each one of us. God, to equip us and strengthen us and lead us clearly in your paths, Father. God, I also ask you to surround each of us with people who will encourage us in our walk, Lord, of living above reproach. So that we will encourage one another to continue to, to go that way and live that way, even on the hard days. And, Lord, when we, when we do fail, God, I pray that we will be people who will be quick, Lord, to confess our sins and repent. And that, Lord, we will willingly accept your correction. Because, Father, it's a, it's a reminder and it's a sign that you love us. Lord, we want to live in ways that bring honor and glory to you. And so we ask you, Father, to hold us close and to lead us daily. In Jesus' name. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen. Amen.